0: Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for these words. And Lord, would you now, through these words, increase our faith that we might go and face the world um, and and be courageous as we live in it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 90s, Sandra Bullock played... uh, an undercover FBI agent uh, embedded in in Miss America Beauty Contest uh, in the movie Miss Congeniality. In the interview portion of uh, the contest, the MC asks her, uh, "What what is the one most important thing our society needs? And she answers, that would be harsher punishment for parole violators and the crowd goes silent. (laughs) And recognizing the silence, she quickly adds, and world peace! And everybody goes, they erupt. What do you think? What do you think is the one thing that our world needs the most? Justice, income equality, better housing policy in Hong Kong, cure for cancer, world peace. Many things in this world are going wrong because we live in a fallen world. We've seen it in the story of Esther in chapters 1 and, and throughout. Right? We've seen men abusing, abusing their power. We've seen women, uh, beautiful women being taken from their homes to have to join the king's harem. Evil men rises to the top positions in power. And we've seen a whole race of people, God's people, at the brink of extinction. And all these things happened. And things that are much worse are happening even now in our 21st century today. But things will turn around. We saw how things turned around in this story last week. In the most seemingly ordinary moment when the king couldn't sleep. Uh, which led to Haman leading Mordecai, parading through the, uh, the streets, honoring him, which then led, eventually uh, led to him being impaled, Haman being impaled on the very stake that he constructed for Mordecai. But danger wasn't over. Haman called the enemy of the Jews four times in the book of Esther. Is dead, but his decree that went out in chapter 3 is still out there. So on the 13th day of Adar, the last month of the year, all the Jews living in the Persian Empire, they were supposed to be attacked. Women and children, young and old, they were to be killed. That edict was still out there. So Queen Esther goes back to the king to plead and asks him that an order be written overruling Haman's order. But Xerxes can't do that because king's decrees cannot be overturned. And so he says, I'll do the next best thing. In chapter 8, verse 8, he writes another decree. And this time, actually, it's not Haman who writes the decree. It's Mordecai who writes the decree in the king's name. And he grants in verse 11, the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy and kill and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them, and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. It's a decree that gives the right of the Jews to defend themselves. And whenever they're attacked, give them the right to defend themselves and attack them back. And the rest of the story tells step by step, and everything that Haman is and everything that Haman has done, how step by step, these are overturned. They're reversed. For example, in chapter 3, verse 10, king gives Haman his signet ring. And in our text, in chapter 8, verse 2, the king gives the same ring to Mordecai. Chapter 3, verse 12, Haman summons the king's scribes, and the letter is written, sealed with the king's ring, and sent out from India to Cush, translated into every language. Well, in chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, Mordecai summons the king's scribes. A decree is written. It's sealed with the same seal. It's sent out to 127 provinces from India to Kush, translated into every language. In chapter 3, verse 14, Haman publicly, decree, uh, publicly displays this decree. In chapter 8, verse 13, we see the reverse. Mordecai displaying his law publicly. The city of Susa is bewildered in chapter 3, verse 15. The same city rejoices in chapter 8, verse 15. Mordecai and the Jews wear sackcloth and ashes, and they mourn in chapter 4, verse 1. But now Mordecai dons on the royal garment, blue and white, a large crown of gold and purple, a purple robe of fine linen is given in chapter 8, verse 15. And remember how Mordecai tells Esther to hide her nationality for the fear of what might happen to, to them. See what happens in chapter 8, verse 16. Many people of other nationalities became Jews, they right. The group that was hated, the group that was at least in power, Right now, it occupies the prime position in this great empire. Everything is reversed. Chapter 9, verse 22 summarizes what happened. Their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. Haman was killed. And on that day, on that day of the original decree, everyone who attacked the Jews were killed. 7,500 of them all together. Everything was undone, reversed, on that day. And now quickly, I want to say something about the bloodshed um, that makes us uncomfortable. It, it should make us uncomfortable that there's so much death. But here, or I want to remind you that the, the, here were people who were intent on killing the Jews. Right? People took up arms and attacked them on that day. And the Jews were given the right to defend themselves. That's the context of that violence. And in order to bring peace, Evil people need to be punished. They need to be brought to justice. That's what that story tells. And actually, that's consistent in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We see this in the story of Esther, but we also will see this on the end of the day when Jesus comes back. The evildoers will be punished. They will be punished. They'll be thrown out. They will be sealed away from the new creation that God will bring for real peace, to exist. Evil need to be punished. And that's what we see. And we'll talk more about that. If you have questions about that, do hold them or you can come to, and talk to me. But, uh, but we'll talk more about it as we go through the book of Joshua later on after Christmas. But going back to the story, I hope you know that this story isn't just a story of the Jews and how God rescued the Jews. Actually, this is the story of God's rescue, God's salvation that will come to all of us. It's, this, is what that's, this is what this story looks forward to. Because ever since the fall, we've lived in a fallen world. Evil world filled with idols, injustice, godlessness, rebellion, sin, and death. And there are days, as we've seen in this book, there are days with us us the same, right? When we wonder out loud, where is God? Why doesn't God do something about the evil that exists in this world? But as we talked about last week, the turning point of history took place. It took place 2,000 years ago when Jesus came. God became a human being. He lived. He died and he rose again. He took the penalty of our sins so that our relationship with God could be restored. So when God comes back, we would be fit to have that relationship with him and live in his world. The turning point took place 2,000 years ago. And just as the Jews in Persia experienced a great reversal, that day of reversal is coming for us as well. Actually, this foretelling of the reversal happens not just in Esther, but throughout the, uh, throughout the Bible. The Old Testament speaks of it. Isaiah 61.3 Isaiah talks of the, Lord's, uh, the year of the Lord's favor, which uh, will bring comfort to all who mourn bestowing on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. Jesus himself, when he came, he he turned things upside down, didn't he? In the Beatitudes, you see it. Blessed are those who are poor, those who are mourning, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for those who want this world to be better. Those who are persecuted, well, he says, you are blessed because I have come. I have come to bring the kingdom of God. The day of reversal is coming, and it will come. John tells that story of the last day when God will wipe away tears from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The sorrow will, ter- will turn into joy, mourning into days of feasting for us as well. Friends, this is what God has done and this is what God is doing and this is what God will bring. When Jesus comes back, sin and evil will be punished. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Those who are mourning will be dancing. Those who are persecuted in this world will inherit the kingdom of God. Tragedy will turn into comedy. And when you know the end, When you know how things will turn out, it should give us courage to live in this world. One of the toughest periods of my life was actually just about five years ago, when my uh, my engagement uh, ended. When that relationship ended, the hardest thing was just uncertainty. Uncertainty of, will I meet another person? Will I be happy? What am I doing in Hong Kong? course, God was in all of those things. God led me to marry, and Barney is the cutest child in the world. And I have no doubt in my mind that God brought me partly to Hong Kong to have the privilege, for me to have the privilege of ministering to you, to be a pastor in this church. And had I known how things would turn out in 2018, had I known how this, if I could picture this in 2000, what would happen in 2018, back then, five years ago, I'm sure I would have faced that time with much more courage, much more joy. Friends, some of you are suffering. I mean, you're going through cancer, illness, tough time in your job, injustice, uh, bad boss, depression. But this is where, uh, how all our stories will end. Sorrow will turn into joy, and mourning into days of feasting. That's what God has done in Jesus Christ. And that's what this story says to us. But of course, we're not quite there yet. We live in the time of in-between. If we were Jews in Persia, it would be like living in the time in-between uh, news of Haman's death. He's killed, he's done, but then uh, the victory hasn't yet come. Days in-between Haman's death and the victory of the Jewish people. We live in a time uh, in-between Jesus' resurrection and his second coming. His coming back. We're waiting for His return, which is actually what the season of Advent is all about, waiting for His return, longing for the day when He will come back and put all things right. That's what Advent is all about. We're waiting for that day to come. And that time of waiting can be difficult since we know how things will be, but it's not there yet. And at this time, God in His wisdom still allows us to suffer. God in his wisdom still allows us to be in the midst of evil and injustice in this world. Sometimes God then seems invisible. Sometimes when we return back to work, most often there are no visions, there are no signs, there are no miracles there. How are we to live in this world in this time of in-between? Well, if Esther is our guide, we should say we live by faith in God's word. What God has done, we need to exercise our faith in God's word. A medieval Jewish uh, rabbi, Abram Seba, understood the book of Esther to be a time when Jewish people's faith increased. He saw that this time of exile in Persia when God seemed silent and absent as the time when Jewish people finally came to put their faith in the Word of God because it had to be, right? Because there are no miracles. There's no mention of God. There's no signs. Remember, there's not even a tiny miracle in the book of Esther, not even a mention of God. And it was a time of doubt for them as they were in exile in Persia. God wasn't there in this world that's filled with idols. Is God here? God can God? Does God still care for us? Will God do His work in this place? Is God? Does God even exist? And Seba explains that this great act of deliverance achieved without miracles in Esther was the reason why Jewish people finally put their faith in Torah, in God's word rather than miraculous display of power. And you see some of, some of those people exercising that faith during the World War II. As you can imagine, the book of Esther was treasured by the Jews in concentration camps. It's Because it's about God's grace. It's about how God is working through the most grim circumstance around the world to achieve His own purpose. And Nazis would kill anyone who had a copy of this book on the spot. But uh, actually, I, uh, but there are records of people who had memorized the entire Book of Esther, who wrote, copied it down and read it. There are people who celebrated um, uh, evening prayers and celebrated Purim in the concentration camps. And that's what mature faith looks like, doesn't it? At that time. Everything was against them. There are no signs of God. But they chose to put their faith in God's word and said, God rescued his people before. He will rescue us again now. And after all, that's what the writer of Hebrews says about faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. How are we then to have that certainty? If we don't see miracles, if we don't see God doing things today, we are to put our faith in God's Word. God's Word tells us what He has done and teaches us that He is working through the daily life, mundane things, the things that you don't think are God, God is there. That's what mature faith looks like. Jesus Himself talked about it before He ascended into heaven. Right? Uh, uh, Peter quoted this, He says to the apostles before he ascends, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, but yet believe. How are we to believe? Jesus says, John goes on to write, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written for you. These are recorded for you. We are to trust in what God has done in the past and the witness of the apostles and the prophets and the, uh, the words that the Spirit allowed us uh, allowed uh, uh, to record for us. Because in the Bible, we get Exodus, but we also get Esther, one book filled with miracles, one book filled with display of God's great power, another book that's silent. In the New Testament, the same, right? We get the uh, G- story of Jesus in, in 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 the Gospels, story of his d- life and death and resurrection. But we also get uh, Paul's prison letters, uh, the, uh, First and Second Timothy. If you read it, it's depressing. He confesses how depressed he is. No one's visiting him. He looks forward to. Uh, he, he's he's facing his death. There are no miracles there. There's no uh, a great act of deliverance. Paul lived by faith in what God has done. And so should we. Many of us, I think, have shallow faith. Faith that comes into crisis, that wavers the moment God seems absent. What will you do next? When that day comes, when something terrible happens to you, when God seems absent, will you trust in what God has done? Will you trust in God's word that says God is working the good through all of it? Will you trust in his word that he will make all things right? That that's what he's done. That's what he is doing. But in order for us to have that mature faith, we have to remember We have to remember what God has done. That's what Mordecai and that's what Esther does next. They didn't just want Jewish people to move on with their lives. They wanted Jewish people to celebrate the day of Purim, day of salvation every year for two days, uh, uh, two days a year. Look at what Mordecai does in chapter 9, verse 20. He sent out a letter to all the Jews and commanded them to celebrate their salvation. In verse 29, Esther throws her weight behind that. They named the festival Purim, which means lot, which I guess in today would be dice. It's an ironic name, isn't it? For us, playing the dice means uh, playing with our chances, testing our luck. You go to Macau to test your luck. You throw dice to test your luck there. But here, Mordecai and Esther remember that there is no such a thing as chances. There's no such a thing as luck. The act of throwing a die, the quintessential act of testing our luck, is transformed into a means by which God delivers his people. God was behind it all. The writer of Proverbs put it this way in 1633, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Mordecai and Esther wanted the Jewish people there to remember, to remember what God had done, that none of this was by chance, but God was behind it all. And remembering is important because our memories shape us, shape who we are. Remembering in the Bible isn't a passive reminiscence of what happened. Remembering is active. It's recalling actively so that we might internalize it. It might shape us to face the world out there. It should become, remembrance of our salvation should become part of who we are as we go out tomorrow. If you know me, you know how terrible I am at remembering anything. My roommate from my freshman year is uh, here today. um, And he'll tell you that I couldn't remember my birthday (laughs) when when I went to college. (laughs) It's embarrassing, but... I have to make an extra effort then to remember things, right? And, and these days, I use all sorts of technology to help me. I need the help of technology. Um, I use sort of Google Calendar, I use Task Lists, and uh, if I don't write it down, I just, I just forget. Um, I have posted uh, posted notes all around my desk, um, where I spend most of my time, to help me remember the most important things. That's what I do, and to make the effort to remember. And that's what we must all do as we go back tomorrow. Because when we go back to tomorrow, tomorrow in our, to our workplaces, to our families, to idol-filled world out there, God will seem absent. You might wonder, where is God? We must make the effort to remember that God is there. Put a post-it note around your desk. Uh, start a Bible study in your workplace. Uh, Start a prayer group. I know people who set an alarm in their phones at 2 p.m. or something like that, just to then, the alarm goes off and you take a time out to pray, to remember that God is there. Remember, make the effort to remember. This is why Sundays are so important too, right? Because on your own, you forget. So as God's people, we come together and we remember that we are God's saved people together. We celebrate our redemption. And second and fourth Sundays through communion and through preaching and through God, reading God's word. That God is active in this world. We need to remember not to escape from this world we need to remember so that we can go back and face this world in faith so that we know that God is working through all things through all things that God has placed us wherever we are for his own purpose for maybe time such as this for a time such as this we need to remember his word we need to remember that even though many of you are going through a difficult time right now, that God will turn sorrow into joy, time of mourning into days of celebration. Remember God's invisible hand. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the amazing rescue that we have seen in the book of Esther. We thank you that you are sovereign God who worked through all those little things, little decisions, even sinful people in the sinful world to rescue your people, that you were faithful to your covenant, that you loved your people and sustained them. And Lord, help us not forget that you are active in our lives as well. Help us to uh, remember that you have placed us uh, in this world, in Hong Kong, in our workplaces and family for a reason. And help us most of all, our salvation. Help us most of all, how things will turn out because Jesus died and rose again. Help us to remember that sorrow will turn into joy. And help us to then live in faith, live courageously in this world as we go out.